Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bring on the college football playoff. In one semifinal, we've got the world-famous Ohio State Buckeyes taking on the defending champion, Georgia Bulldogs. In the other semifinal, the hungry, swagger-filled Michigan Wolverines and the heart-driven TCU Horned Frogs. This is the Saturday Cadence Podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. Blake Biscardi and Dave Worth, I'm with you on the special episode. As we preview the college football playoff, we're just hours away. Can Georgia defend its title or will the Buckeyes thrive in a role the program loves as underdogs. Max Duggan and TCU's resilience earned a spot in the semifinals, but could be running into a freight train of maize and blue Wolverines. We're just hours away from this year's college football playoff, one of the final installments of the four-team format on New Year's Eve. Dave, let's begin the show with your most intriguing storyline of the semifinals. What has your attention the most in these two games? Yeah, like you mentioned in the intro there, Ohio State is the underdog is really interesting. They, they seem to thrive in that role. The one time they entered the playoffs as a true underdog, obviously it went very well for them. Um, and I think that for Ohio State, they, they, on paper, they, they match up well with this Georgia team. Obviously, Georgia is built on their running game. They've been doing it for years. They have those excellent tight ends. But Ohio State's been pretty good this year about stopping a run, except for that Michigan game, of course. And they're usually pretty good at defending tight ends as they have those linebackers and safeties who can cover that. Ohio State has struggled this year at times with their defensive backs covering wide receivers. Georgia doesn't usually use that as much as some of the teams that have given Ohio State trouble this year. And I think that's a matchup where Ohio State could potentially pull one out just because they match up well with them on paper. And on the other side, Michigan and TCU, I think it's going to be interesting to see how J.J. McCarthy deals with this new challenge. Uh, he wasn't asked to do a lot against Ohio State, had some wide open receivers downfield for most of the game, uh, made some big plays. But other than that, was was pretty unspectacular. Obviously, his legs are going to be one of the more intriguing storylines as well. If TCU is able to control the passing game, how well how will McCarthy adapt and be able to use his legs against a pretty athletic defense? So a couple of storylines on both sides. And then, of course, back to TCU, Max Duggan. Uh, Heisman finalist and having just a great season. This will be his last ride announced. He'll be heading to the NFL after the playoff. And, you know, how will he put a stamp on his TCU tenure? It'll be interesting to see how the Horn Frogs perform in that one. Definitely. And a nugget just to start the show here, Ohio State is eight and two in their last 10 games as underdogs. But I want to talk about the college football playoff just as a whole for a minute in the format. We'll get to the semifinals in just a second. So what do you see as the benefits of the current four-team format versus the 12-team format we're going to get here in a couple of years? Well, the argument against the 12-team format is that it'll be watered down a little bit. You'll get some teams in there that probably shouldn't be. Uh, but if you look at the NCAA tournament, for example, you get teams in there that probably shouldn't be in there. And all of a sudden, they end up in the Elite Eight. And you know they, they obviously make a run and knock off some really good teams in the process. And uh, so for that reason, obviously there could be some knocks against the upcoming 12 team playoff. Um, it would be nice to see all conferences represented every year, all power five conferences represented every year. Obviously we don't have that this year with uh, the PAC 12. Once again, 
being left out and the ACC this year being left out. So it'll be nice to have all conferences represented and you'll really get to see you paint a bigger picture of who the best conference is on any given year. Um, but as it stands right now, you know, we've been used to the 14 playoff now for almost a decade, which is pretty crazy to think about uh, that it's been going on that long now. And uh, a couple more years of that left. And this year with four really interesting teams, three perennial powerhouses. And then of course, TCU, who's been a great program for the last 20 years or so. Uh, this will be a good four teams uh, in one of these last, you know, couple of playoffs. No Alabama this year, no Clemson, no Oklahoma. Some of the teams we've seen in the past, no Notre Dame. Um, so you'll get a little bit of new blood in there. Michigan's second appearance. Georgia's obviously been in recent years. Ohio State's back again at TCU for the first time. So a lot of interesting talking points here for sure. Definitely. And out of the one semifinal, the Fiesta Bowl will produce a new team in the national championship for the first time in this four-team format, either Michigan or TCU. And like you said, when the expanded playoff kind of gets watered down, you kind of think about those top four teams just maybe running the show, and we end up with what we would end up with where we had the four-team format. So let's say you have the current top four teams this year, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State, maybe under a 12-team format, it ends up as that. But what's interesting with the format is those top four seeds being reserved for the highest ranked conference champions. So if we take the 12 team format with this year's rankings, the three seed would be Clemson and the four seed would be Utah instead of TCU and Ohio State. So then Ohio State's now sitting as a six seed and then they quote unquote have to Cinderella their way to the top instead of just having one of those first round buys there. So that could cause some good teams like Notre Dame, for an example, don't play in a conference. They the highest seed they could ever be is the fifth seed. So they could be 12 and 0 and the number five seed. So just really interesting. I think it'll cause a little bit of parity having that happen. I mean, sometimes you'll have a two or three loss team ranked in the top four and you'll have that argument of, well, they shouldn't be there, but that's just what, how the format works. And it'll be interesting to see those teams be ranked in a lower seed, host a quarterfinal and then have to work their way ahead. And then you get a lower seed into the national championship game, perhaps. But as we look back on the four-team format, has the committee gotten it right each year in your estimation? And then same with this year we talked about before that they did. But has the four-team format worked out overall? I think you can nitpick it. And obviously there's going to be some teams, like that Michigan State team, for example, they got blown out. Washington's been blown out. Even Ohio State in 2016 has been blown out. So there are definitely some things you could second guess. But for the most part, I think they got it right. You know, you look at the first one that, slide Ohio State up to four and they go in to win the national championship. Clearly that's the right choice. And you've seen some of those down the line uh, where I think they have gotten it right for the most part. It's never going to be perfect. You're going to have some fan bases that are angry and that'll be the case even with a 12 team playoff, you know, team number 13, you know, isn't probably going to be very happy that they're number 13. Um, but for the most part, I, I do think they've gotten it right. Certainly some things I would have fixed in the past, but for the most part, you know, it, it just is what it is. And I haven't really seen too many picks where I would have been like, okay, I would have picked a different team for this reason. Yeah, I agree. Then you have that other case where they slide in Alabama, not winning uh, their own division and they win the national championship as well. So there's yeah. arguments for those fourth teams getting in there and whether or not they deserved it, but it's been justified twice with Ohio state and Alabama questionably getting in at four. Then they win the national championship, but let's get to the Fiesta bowl now. Michigan's got some unfinished business here. No Blake Corum. Do you think his absence is going to cause an impact on Michigan's offense and in the Fiesta Bowl against TCU? 
Well, it didn't seem to matter against Ohio State, right? I think he had what a carry or two. He wasn't really on the field very often. And yeah, um, it was the Donovan Edwards show, even with a busted hand. And he ran all over Ohio State there in the second half. Um, I think Michigan's had plenty of time to prepare. They knew this was coming. They knew it was coming before Ohio State. Um, and for that reason, I, I don't really see any significant problems. Obviously, you never want to lose one of your best players. But like I said, they've had plenty of time to prepare. And the sample size suggests that it hasn't really impacted them yet. So we'll see if that holds true. Looked pretty good in the Big Ten championship game as well after a somewhat slow first half. And um, So, you know, I'm pretty confident in Michigan in this game. Um, I think they're a more talented, complete team than TCU, and that's not to take anything away from TCU. I just think Michigan's really good. And, you know, missing Blake Corum definitely hurts, but Donovan Edwards, former five-star guy, very talented, has had a good year, big plays all year long, and I expect that to continue. Donovan Edwards' game is different than Blake Corum's. Obviously, Corum's the catalyst to that offense performing well. But you said Donovan Edwards is a capable back, and he also poses a threat out of the backfield catching the ball as a receiver which yep. Blake Quorum does not. He's certainly capable of it, but that's not how they use the two backs. So there's more versatility when you have Donovan Edwards on the field. And we saw him against Ohio State. We saw him followed up in the Big Ten championship game. It didn't really look like the offense skipped a beat, per se, against the Buckeyes or the Boilermakers. So I don't foresee Michigan struggling to run the football against a TCU front. But then we look at the quarterback battle here. J.J. McCarthy, you mentioned earlier in the show how he'll perform against TCU and followed up on the big stage, kind of that unfinished business mentality. He stayed out, watched the confetti fall last year after Georgia versus Max Duggan. That team is built on resilience and heart and determination, Will. How do you see that quarterback duel playing out? This is quietly a really interesting battle between these two. Yeah, I'm not sure. Obviously, they both had good seasons for different reasons. Um, Max Duggan has been kind of the folk hero of college football this year, really. He um, has. Wasn't, wasn't the opening starter. Chandler Morris goes down. Duggan comes in. They don't miss a beat. They play better. They've won every game. Heisman finalist. Uh, well, I shouldn't say they won every game. They won every regular season game, of course. Um, he's a Heisman finalist. Really carried them in that Big 12 uh, championship game against Kansas State. Obviously didn't get it done at the end, but uh, – you know, they weren't in that game without his performance. So, um, and really all the quarterbacks in, in this college football playoff are having good years for different reasons, right? You look at CJ mm -hmm. Stroud, who's probably got the best arm talent of any of the four. You look at JJ McCarthy, who's probably the best runner of the four. Um, Stetson Bennett's been there a long time. He's a winner. He's done in the past. Another Heisman finalist, great talent around him. And a guy who's really perfect for that Georgia system. Uh, and then JJ McCarthy, like we mentioned, great runner. Young guy, plays with a chip on his shoulder, fiery competitor. So all these quarterbacks, you know, in this college football playoff semifinal, um, three of them, Heisman finalists, and then McCarthy, uh, really good for different reasons. And that whole thing, that whole storyline, even uh, not just the two, but the four, is going to be interesting to follow. Absolutely. And Max Duggan is obviously one of the big playmakers and impact players for the TCU offense. But TCU's offense has really been driven and propelled by the big play ability. And now Michigan doesn't give up a ton of big plays. Do you foresee that being a factor in the Fiesta Bowl if TCU is able to hit some big shots, if they keep the game more competitive, if they can win? I mean, certainly TCU, a worthy opponent. But that big play ability is going to predicate a lot of the Horned Frogs' success in Arizona. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, look at what happened in Ohio State and Michigan, right? Michigan had four or five big plays the whole game, and that was the reason why they won. It was pretty evenly matched uh, outside of that, and Ohio State failed to capitalize on some plays that could have been big plays for them. I remember a long fourth down pass. They didn't convert a couple other plays throughout the game um, that could have gone Ohio State's way and would have really changed the game. But, yeah, big plays absolutely matter, and, and usually it seems like the team that limits those big plays is the team that wins the game. they got to win the turnover battle. Uh, the big plays, like we've said, just the more consistent team usually finds a way to win. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely think that's a huge deal. And if TCU can get a couple lightning strikes and some quick scores, um, I think it'll definitely change the tides a little bit and give them a real shot. For sure. we Like you said, Michigan hit five plays for over 340 yards against Ohio State, and it, all it takes is one. So it happened. it's just one play that whole drive or one play in a quarter, and boom, you get six points on the board there. So if TCU is able to hit those big plays, that's going to pose a lot of issues. It's going to change the game a little bit. That's not how Michigan likes to play. They don't want to make it a shootout. Their brand of football is that power run style. They just force it down your throat. They're efficient in the passing game, calculated with the quarterback run, balanced in their approach. So I think TCU needs to find a way to hit the big plays or get loose for chunk yard plays to you know, loosen up the Michigan defense and kind of play the game on their terms instead of Jim Harbaugh and uh, Michigan's. But what are the impact players, or who are the impact players, rather, in the Fiesta Bowl, in your estimation? Well, I think it's that whole TCU receiving core, really, first of all. Uh, they've had a good year. Uh, obviously, big plays have been good for them this year. Um, they, they've won a lot of 50-50 balls. they got big receivers, strong receivers. Um, and I think that'll matter against a, a physical Michigan defense. Um and on the other side, I, I really do think this. a lot of this game is going to come down to J.J. McCarthy uh, on the offensive side of the ball for Michigan just because, uh, obviously, he, he doesn't really have that playoff experience. Cade McNamara was the guy last year. Um, and he's won some big games for them this year. But at the same time, you know, this is a different TCU team. They don't play the same style um, that Michigan has faced all year long. And uh, Michigan didn't really have a tough out-of-conference schedule. McCarthy didn't even play or start that first game of the year. Because uh, McNamara did, as Jim Harbaugh was still trying to work out that quarterback competition. So I think he's a big factor. That whole Michigan offense against the TCU defense uh, will be interesting because I really do think it's kind of a conflict of styles on both sides. These two teams don't really play the same way. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch, and uh, we'll see how it goes throughout the game. But, you know, we, we've talked about the quarterback battle so much, and I really do think that's going to matter. It'll almost feel like an NFL game, really, I think, in both of these situations, more so in the, in the Fiesta Bowl than the Peach Bowl, because I think Georgia has other ways to win outside of Stetson Bennett. Um, but I think in, in, this, in the uh, Fiesta Bowl, I think it'll really matter. The quarterback play will really matter. And whoever plays a better, clean game, doesn't turn the ball over, uh, will probably end up being the winner. Quarterbacks need to be game managers, like you're saying. They need yes. to manage the game well, and they need to also take their calculated shots, and they need to execute. They need to be efficient at what they do and not turn the ball over. So I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly with that one. And Quentin Johnston obviously is going to have to hit a couple big plays and score a couple of touchdowns if TCU wants to win this ball game because Michigan has some good receivers. Ronnie Bell, watch for him on Michigan offensively, and the Michigan group of tight ends, very solid as well. That offensive line, though, for Michigan, man, TCU's got to find a way to get pressure disrupt J.J. McCarthy's rhythm, tackle Donovan Edwards for a loss in the backfield, just disrupt. They have to find a way to do that. Michigan has not let that happen all year because that offensive line is so very good. 
They have got to find a way to disrupt in that way. Just to throw off the Michigan offense, keep them behind the chains, off schedule, not allow to be uh, first and 10, go to second and six, third and three, first down. That's how Michigan wants to play you. So TCU's got to find a way to do that. And Max Duggan, again, has to do the same thing. He's got to hit Quentin Johnson. He can't turn the football over. Has to be smart with the defense and just roll through the game. And then that brings us to our keys to the game here. And I think it just overlaps the same way as for Michigan. They need to control the line of scrimmage because the game's going to be won in the trenches and on the backs of either quarterback. Like you said, whoever plays the more clean game, that team's going to win the football game. And then the Michigan defense has been solid, limit the big plays. And then TCU can't give up the big yardage plays out of the backfield. They can't give it up on the ground. Do you see it the same way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You you know, Ohio State, Michigan was a great case study in terms of what Michigan can do, right? Um, if you limit the big plays, they're not going to – it would be very hard for them to win. You know, they're a team that likes to go up and down the field pretty methodically most of the time, run the ball, and like you said, be more physical in the trenches. Um, and if you can hang around, you have a chance to beat them. You just can't allow the big plays, as we saw with Ohio State. Um, and then on the other side with TCU, uh, it's kind of a similar thing, but I feel like TCU is a little bit more vulnerable defensively. Uh, we saw Deuce Vaughn obviously run all over them a couple of times um, for Kansas State. And TCU just seems to be a little less consistent defensively. And I think, uh, like you said, their defensive line is going to have to play their best game of the year against the very talented Michigan offensive line and uh, really take it to him in the trenches. Like you said, get Donovan Edwards down. Don't allow the big play. Keep J.J. McCarthy in the pocket as much as possible uh, and make him beat you with his arm. TCU has to tackle. That's the big thing. We, we saw Ohio State Michigan matched up well on the field and everything. Ohio State didn't tackle on certain plays, and that's where the big yardage came. So if TCU can tackle and play clean, they can give up those routes where – it's those comeback routes, like where Ohio State gave up the first touchdown. You just catch it eight yards. You got to make that tackle right there or else he's running free. Same thing, Donovan Edwards. He can't get to the second level. Then you have two or three missed tackles in that process. That, that can't happen. So they have to have a very clean, fundamentally sound tackling game defensively and make Michigan earn every yard instead of shaking and baking or breaking all the tackles, just hitting those big plays when they shouldn't have gone for big plays. Like if you get out-schemed on a play, and they give up a touchdown, that's one thing. But when you're the root cause as the defender and you miss a tackle, you miss an assignment, you're not in your right gap, you're not in your right coverage, that's where that hurts you, and that's what TCU has to avoid in order to beat this really good Michigan team. Yeah, and you haven't really seen that a ton with TCU this year, of you know, broken plays or missed assignments or things like that. They've played pretty clean football, and you don't get to 12-1 and one without playing pretty clean football all year long. They've been the comeback kids, won some close games, and you don't do that either without, you know, playing pretty clean games. So, you know, the, the formula is there for TCU, just like it is for Michigan. You know, you could see either of these teams winning. Um, but I think TCU has more to prove uh, than Michigan does. And I, I, I would certainly say that they're the underdog at this point. Yes. And we'll get to that pick in a minute. The spread currently stands at seven and a half. But Dave, let's get into the Peach Bowl here. Ohio State versus Georgia. Both teams on different paths of how they got to the playoff. This was a matchup we kind of wanted to see last year. Georgia's great defense and Ohio State's elite offense. Same storyline again this year. Ohio State, great offense. Georgia, great on defense. And then both teams improved their offense, Georgia, and Ohio State's defense this year. So if we're looking at last year versus this year, I'd rather have the matchup with this year's teams. 
But who do you feel has the most pressure on them in this matchup, Ohio State or Georgia? Well, I think Ohio State needs to at least play a competitive football game. They cannot get blown out. You know, what happened against Michigan just can't happen again. You cannot get blown out in this game. Um, I don't think a lot of people are expecting Ohio State to win, right? I think most of the country would say Ohio State's not going to win, which is fine. But they need to hang around, play a competitive football game, give themselves a chance in the end, in the fourth quarter, to go out and maybe steal it, however they got to do it. Um, And I think a lot of pressure is on Ohio State. I think Georgia, obviously, they win the championship last year. Um, I'm not a Georgia fan. If I was, I would obviously root for them this year. I would be satisfied with how last year went. Um, And if they do somehow lose to Ohio State in a close game, it happens. Um, but I, I would say there's a lot of pressure on Ohio State and Ryan Day specifically to come out and play a really tough, physical, good football game against a really good team. Yeah, I was talking to my dad about this this morning, actually, and we were talking about who, which team has more pressure on them. And if you look at Ohio State and Georgia, but specifically Ohio State's case, the pressure externally, it's not really there. It's all internal pressure. It's the standard yep. of Ohio State football. It's from the program. It's from the coaches, from the players, from the fan base. That's where the pressure is on Ohio State. The Buckeyes have not lost back-to-back games in nine years. The last time they lost back-to-back games was the 2013 Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State, followed up with an Orange Bowl loss to Clemson. So Ohio State has not dropped back-to-back games in nine years, which is insane to think about, really. But all that pressure is internal on Ohio State. So externally, like you're saying, no one's given Ohio State a chance to win. You listen to all the talking heads. All the critics, everyone is saying this is Georgia's game. Ohio State's going to get embarrassed. They're not going to be able to withstand Georgia's physicality. They can't take that level of intensity to that level. They've got to be able to weather that storm because it's all internal pressure. And when you have internal pressure, that turns into motivation in most cases because you quiet the outside noise, everyone's doubting you, and you get to go prove everybody wrong. You get to be the team on a mission. You get to play with no pressure. You get to play loose, carefree, and you just have to execute, and you get to play aggressive. And that's the Ohio State team that we need to see in this matchup because that internal pressure has to turn into external motivation on the field, and we need to see you play every play with their hair on fire, nine units strong, just like they did. Because in Ohio State's case here, this season and this team, they can take the 2014 approach, and they can win this as the underdogs, and they put it all together, or they can be the 2015 team that for the entire year, they were just a gigantic ball of potential energy where you knew they had supreme talent and they could get to this level, but they never quite put it all together to get and to reach their potential, really, not to use the same word twice, but that 2015 team, quote-unquote, underachieved for the level of talent on that roster. So this 2022 Ohio State team, they're either remembered as the bunch that was extremely talented, but that's all they were was talented and potential energy, or... They put it all together at the right time. They peaked. They learned from that loss. And they showed that they can still be the class of college football and then go win a national championship. But not to get ahead, beat Georgia in this case. And then you worry about a national championship. But that's how I view this game for Ohio State is they can choose which team they want to be, 14 or 15. Yeah, see, I actually look at it a little different. I like your 14 comp, but I would actually liken this Ohio State team more to the 2018 team uh, just because – you know, the 2015 team had a history of winning, right? Uh, they returned That's everybody fair. from that four, from that 14 team. Um, and so they had, they had a history of winning. You know, they had a history. Urban Meyer, um, 
had won at you know several places, and that was just a weird kind of season where they they beat a lot of teams close, and then they got slipped up by Michigan State in that weird weather game, um, and then rolled at the end of the year, crushed Michigan, crushed Notre Dame. Um, 2018 was a little different, right? They, they had a really high-flying offense with Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback. Um, put up a lot of points. The defense was not very good. They lost to Purdue in a blowout. Um, and that was just kind of a, a weird team um, that hadn't really won a lot before. 2016, blown out in the playoffs. 2017, didn't make the playoffs, lost two games. Um, so 2018 team, you know, they, it was just kind of a team that really had that weird energy all year where they're like, yeah, you know, if they can get into the playoffs, they can make a run. Never happened. This team is kind of the same, right? They haven't really won anything, but you're like, yeah, if they get into the playoffs, they can make a run. Um, and now they're in the playoffs. They didn't, they get a different opportunity than that 2018 team did. Um, so this is their chance. And like we've talked about, you know, it's time that they need to be physical. The internal pressure, it's a great phrase that you used, is really high. Um, they need to make a statement, not only to the country, but to themselves that, hey, you know, we're still here. This is Ohio State. We're not going anywhere. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that holds true here on Saturday night, New Year's Eve. Yeah, and I don't want to compare injuries here when I talk about this. So in 2018 as well, and I didn't think about it in the way you did with that 2018 comp for Ohio State, but again, I want to use this loosely here and not ingest to Nick Bosa or Jackson Smith and Jigba, but Ohio State lost Nick Bosa against TCU in 2018, and they were quote-unquote robbed of Nick Bosa and Chase Young wrecking havoc. Now, if you have those two on your defensive line, I know High State's defense in 2018 was not as strong as this year's, but a lot of those plays don't happen when you have those two game wreckers on your defensive line off the edge coming at you from both sides. There's no way to really defend that. And then this year, Jackson Smith and Jigba, his hamstring injury has lingered, and unfortunately he's not healthy enough to play in the playoff. So then Ohio State loses out on Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. for a full season this year, which, again, an unstoppable, unguardable duo. And how do you really defend that? So that's just another parallel to 2018, just like you said, which I thought was actually very fair. Yeah, interesting comparison and definitely accurate. Um, Bosa was more upfront about it, right? Like you kind of knew early that he wasn't going to be there the rest of the season. Smith and Jigba, you always kind of held out a little bit of hope because they never really answered any questions. Very indirect, very, you know, uh, almost secretive with that one. Um, and now, obviously, he's not playing. So very similar comparison and something I didn't even really think about. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, strengthens my case even more that this team is mm -hmm. very similar to that 2018 Ohio State team. And that team didn't get it done. And we'll see if this one does. Right, we will. And, and in this game, C.J. Stroud's legacy and how he's remembered is going to be on the line. And really, Ryan Day's identity at the same time also on the line. Like, both of those two things are at stake here. So when you look at Stroud's legacy and the opportunity that him and Ryan Day have in front of them right now in this playoff game, how can they be remembered in this playoff game with a win? Well, CJ hasn't really won anything. I mean, nothing of no big head championships, no wins against Michigan, no real marquee out of conference wins. I guess he got the Rose Bowl last year, but that was a game in which some of Ohio State's best players didn't really play, and it was almost like a scrimmage of sorts, really. Um, and then the Notre Dame game this year, which matters. CJ didn't play great. They lost JSN early. Um, so they really, he really hasn't won that many big games. And 
and I don't think it's his fault per se, right? You know, last year against Oregon, he threw for 500 yards. They lose that game because their defense stinks. Same thing against Michigan later in the year. The defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Um, and CJ played pretty well in that game. And, and same for this year, really. You could, it would be hard pressed to say he was the reason why they lost to Michigan this year. Um, and now that's not to say, you know, he couldn't have done some things better. Of course, I remember the end of that Oregon game. Um, there were some throws that if he makes, they probably end up winning that game, um, which could have totally, you know, changed the season um, and gotten them into, a, into the playoffs, even with that loss to Michigan there at the end, they could have potentially snuck in maybe over UC or something like that. So this is a big game for CJ's legacy. He needs to go out a winner if he wants any, you know, recourse for the transgressions of the past. Uh, he needs to win this one and then potentially win the next one. And if he can do that, everything's forgiven, right? If you win a national championship, I don't care what you did in the past. And I think most Ohio State fans feel the same way, especially if it ends with a victory over Michigan in the national championship game. So really big stretch for CJ and Ryan Day here um, to reestablish Ohio State is that, hey, we're here. We're not going away. This is Ohio State. We're right there with everybody else. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say with what's ahead for CJ Stroud and Ryan Day here. I know. C.J. Stroud has yet to beat Michigan, and there's no way C.J. Stroud can win the Big Ten unless he comes back for next year, which is just simply out of the question. But if he can beat Georgia, that's the class of the SEC. You then beat the defending champions, and then most likely you would beat Michigan in the national championship, if Ohio State, assuming they go on and win the national championship. And just like you said, C.J. Stroud gets the, gets the ring, and then he beats Michigan and gets the gold pants in the national championship game. So like you said, it gets forgiven. But C.J. Stroud has to show that in this matchup, he's willing to do more than what we've seen him do in the other big games. Now, in the Oregon loss, I'll put that in a special class because that was only his, what, second or third start. So he his youth was showing in that matchup for sure, and you get the experience. They end up losing, unfortunately, but he played well overall. I would probably give him a B plus, A minus in that matchup. And then you take it to today now, he has to show – that he's going to do whatever it takes to win. You saw JT Barrett on the field, the intensity and the leadership and just that extra version that he brought to the field. You saw every play he was playing from his heart. CJ Stroud cannot Justin be Fields, afraid sorry, to run. Justin, Justin Fields, Fields yeah. too. You know? And right. a guy that that's, that's who CJ sat behind in, in right. 2020 and, and learned from. You know, Justin Fields out there playing with broken ribs, um, running the ball, doing whatever it takes. You know, he's dropping 60-yard passes in the bucket to Chris Olave in that semifinal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, a whole different story with CJ, really. Yeah, that's extremely fair to say it that way with Justin Fields' comp that he sat behind him and he watched all that happen. He watched him limp off the field against Clemson and throw those touchdown passes after he took a major shot to the ribs. So, yeah, CJ has to show that next level of how he can take it and win the game with his willpower and his heart and his determination there. And it's not going to be an easy task against that Georgia defensive front and Jalen Carter, Ryan Day, I'm sure is going to have to move the pocket and do various other things in that likings. But if we kind of flip-flop this now, talk about Georgia's offense against Ohio State's defense. We touched on it earlier with their shortcomings against Michigan and how they cannot let that happen again. But on Georgia's offense, what is the biggest, what's their biggest threat to Ohio State's defense per se? Yeah, you know, I think the tight end battle is certainly going to be one to watch there. Georgia tight ends, um, you know, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers against those Ohio State linebackers, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, and the stable of safeties that Ohio State has. You know, that's going to be the battle, right? 
Georgia's got two really different tight ends. Bowers kind of smaller and then Washington, you know, a huge matchup literally on the outside. Uh, and those Ohio State linebackers are going to have to play a very physical football game, not only against those tight ends, but stopping the run as well. Uh, Ohio State's defensive line has been more of a pass, rushing the passer defensive line historically. Um, they've done that a lot this year. Zach Harrison, GT Tui Moloau, um, and then the defensive tackles, Mike Hall, Tyler Williams, and the rest of the gang getting involved at times as well. Uh, but these linebackers are going to need to play well. And Eichenberg especially has done that all year long. Chambers is coming into his own. Um, and we'll be back next year, but you know, he's admitted he's raw at the position. That's why he'll be back next year. So, you know, that'll be a really interesting storyline to watch is those tight ends who are Georgia's best weapons without a doubt against Ohio state's stable of linebackers and safeties. Yeah. For Ohio state on the defensive line, Larry Johnson has to tighten up his rotations. I know we've seen a lot of guys get time this year, but he's got to pick that group of guys and just roll with them. And LJ knows what he's doing. He's one of the best, probably the best defensive line coach to ever do it. And I hope we see that translated in this matchup with who he picks to start and how those guys perform and the rotations and they keep those guys in rhythm and not able to get out of it because Georgia's offense is elite and an area that gets overvalued when we talk about those tight ends in the receiving game and Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington is those two guys are exceptional in the running game as blockers as well. So Darnell Washington is probably the key to the entire offense at Georgia there. And they'll move Brock Bowers around, give him all different looks, maybe put him in the slot, take him underneath the formation on an end around, all different ways that you'll see with the wrinkles on Georgia's offense. So Jim Knowles will have wrinkles and everything ready for that. But it's it's a lot different for Ohio State seeing this group of receivers and tight ends for Georgia because they're unlike anything the Buckeyes have faced in the Big Ten. But Ohio State's defense, though, and this is a little silver lining for the Buckeye fans listening, is Ohio State's have been very, very good. They're second in the country against running backs and tight ends in the passing game. Now their weakness is against the wide receivers, as we saw, because the cornerbacks are the weaker link of the defense there. So this plays into the strength of the Ohio State defense, uh, for sure, which is going to be really fun to watch that chess match. Now there's no way to take those guys away, and I'm not saying that Ohio State's going to shut down Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington in the Georgia running game for 60 minutes. I don't think that's possible. But there's certainly ways to limit that. And that's going to start with tackling and understanding assignments, having new looks and different, just different attacks that you can throw against Georgia. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Knowles kind of responds from his defense getting a little shredded there against Michigan, the big play. He's talked about it all year. He has said, we will give up big plays. We can't give touchdowns out off of that. Right. And that didn't happen against Michigan. They all went for touchdowns. Uh, so he, he, you know, he's aware of the problem, uh, but now it's time to really buckle down and try and adjust and fix that problem. For sure. And Jalen Carter on Georgia's defensive line, he's a game wrecker. And Ohio State's yeah. definitely going to have to do something to account for him. It's Ohio State has probably the better offensive line of the two teams in this matchup, but Georgia has the best individual player on defense in Jalen Carter. So how would you approach scheming him and defending uh, Carter in the middle there? Do you shift the pocket? Well, you just got to make the other guys beat you. And however, whatever that takes is what you got to do, whether that is shifting the pocket, whether it's, you know, some traditional double teams, uh, maybe an extra tight end or running back who's able to shift over and help with that. Um, however, they got to do it. They got to do it. They got to make the other guys beat them. Uh, really similar to what TCU has to do, make JJ McCarthy beat you. Ohio State's got to make those other guys beat you. Right. And Georgia hasn't really shown a ton of depth, um, 
at their defensive line. Obviously, they lost Nolan Smith earlier this year um, for the season, so he won't be playing in this game. And uh, very talented, stable of defensive linemen. They have five stars beyond five stars beyond five stars up and down the roster. But you got to make someone other than Jalen Carter beat you. For sure. And I mean, there's also the strategy of running right at him and making him wearing him down. So, yeah, you know what? Maybe those runs go for one, two, three, four yards in the first half, and then they end up popping for six, seven, eight yards, maybe a first down in the second half. And you play that game into the fourth quarter, the long game, which that patience is hard. And especially against a team as talented and as proven as Georgia, that's might not be the right approach, but there's different ways that you can do it. And I'm curious to see how Ryan day and, and company draw it up there and how CJ Stroud choose to do it. And also the mix of running backs for Ohio state. Dallin Hayden came on pretty strong at the end of the year. Then he didn't get a lot of time or touches against Michigan and, most likely when you see that, it's because of pass protection concerns. Ryan Day openly stated in a press conference a couple of weeks ago, Dallin Hayden will be a part of the game plan. We will get, see him get touches. So I'm curious to see how Ohio State brings it all together offensively against Georgia. Yeah, I mean, for Ryan Day, this is now or never. There's nothing else to hide. And, um, you know, you got to leave it all on the field here. Whatever you got down deep in that playbook, it's time to use it. So it'll yep. be interesting, like you said, with the – Various mix of running backs, whether they use Mayan Williams, uh, Chip Trainum ran re- really well against Michigan, and then, of course, Dallin Hayden. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State comes out and approaches that room without Travion Henderson playing in this game. Oh, for sure. And then Ohio State, with whoever's playing, when they get to the red zone, they've got to execute. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing against Michigan. From on the, I mean, I know as a whole game, execution was lackluster, but especially offensively in the first half, the Buckeyes missed numerous opportunities to take a two and three score lead and the outcome would have been different in the game, I believe. So Ohio state has got to execute against a team like Georgia because you're not going to get many chances. Now I think Ohio state's going to score. I don't see them having trouble. It's just, is it going to be six or is it going to be three? That's the, that's going to be the difference in that matchup is when Ohio state gets a drive and puts it together and goes down the field or they hit a big play. They just have to execute those called shots. And once they get in between the twenties there, They've got to convert for touchdowns. I cannot stress that enough. That'll be the biggest key to this matchup for the Buckeyes is converting, converting, converting. Yeah, anytime you're an underdog, you just need to kind of make the plays you're supposed to make to keep you in the game and then steal one or two, whether that's a turnover or a big play on offense. You just got to steal one or two. If you're already in the game and you can get one or two steals, you got a good chance. Yeah, do you think it's fair for Ohio State to want to try to turn this game into a shootout and then turn it into C.J. Stroud against Stetson Bennett and play the game that way because in that case, maybe Ohio State feels they have the advantage with the quarterback talent. I know Bennett's won the big games and he has the advantage in that case, but raw talent and weapons, I'll take C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. over Stetson Bennett and ex-wide receiver and then Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Could the staff feel that way? Well, I know that Georgia obviously gave up a million passing yards to LSU, and they've actually done that a few times this year. But I right. still wouldn't say they're you know particularly vulnerable, right? This is still a very stout defense, and I just don't see a shootout really being feasible in this game. Um, I could see both teams maybe getting in the low 30s, but you know I hardly classify that as a shootout, really. Um, so I think the most part, this is going to be you know a, a pretty possession kind of possession by possession kind of game. Um, whether that, you know, obviously that means the team could score quickly. Um, but I don't think that teams will score quickly consistently. I think there's going to be a lot of method to the madness here. Uh, Georgia likes to play possession football. 
Ohio State has shown that they will do it in the past, uh, although obviously they prefer to run and gun up and down the field. Um, and I think the first quarter or so will be telling as to how the rest of the game will turn out, whether the, you know the pace of the game. Yeah, I think that's fascinating you brought that up because I was thinking the same thing there with the different styles of play we're going to see in the matchup because of how versatile both offenses are. And then knowing both defenses, defensive coordinators, there's, I don't see this game being a total shootout. And I think there's a magic number where you could say, all right, if X team scores 35, they win the game. I think you can also call it that way, but we'll see some fireworks, the back and forth, some quick strikes from both offenses. And we'll also see those possessions. I mean, if one team can put together a 10, 12 play drive, take six to eight minutes off the clock, wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think the game's going to ebb and flow in a lot of different ways. And we'll see a little bit of everything from both offenses and both defenses. And the turnover battle obviously looms large uh, on that stage in the semifinal there in Atlanta. Yeah, I think to sum it up, really, you know, like I said, it's going to come down to a few turnovers here and there, maybe a shot or two down the field for a big play for the offense. And I think whoever gets more of those ends up winning the game. Absolutely. And that might start with the coin toss of if you elect to defer or receive. That could be yep. very interesting as well. But to wrap up the Peach Bowl talk here, impact players and keys to the game real fast for each team. I'm interested to see Keely Ringo against Marvin Harrison Jr. I assume we'll see that a lot. Um, one of the best corners in the country, one of the best receivers in the country. So that'll be interesting. You mentioned uh, Jalen Carter, how Ohio State handles that will be interesting. C.J. Stroud, big game C.J. The rap sheet isn't great right now. Um, so we'll see how big game C.J. comes out. And this one, and same with Stetson Bennett on the other side, right? He's just done his job in the past and you know brought them to, to win some really big games. So uh, I think Stetson Bennett's going to have to play really well in this one and take care of the football. And then, of course, he look at Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. Um, will they be able to continue their run of dominance, or does Ohio State have some formula where they're able to slow those guys down? Yeah, like we talked about with the quarterbacks in the Fiesta Bowl for Stetson Bennett, he's in that same group with them. He's got to manage the game. He's got the weapons around him. He might not be the best player on his offense, but he's got plenty of weapons. He just has to manage well and not make crucial mistakes, commit turnovers. And then in Ohio State's case, try to find a different player other than C.J. Stroud because, man, the big game has not been kind to him. And maybe he puts that to bed in the semifinal in the Peach Bowl. Remains to be seen, but C.J. Stroud has Marvin Harrison Jr. as the best receiver. There's no way he should not have at least 10 targets in this matchup, if not more. But he's going against Keely Ringo, who's one of the best corners, like you said. They've got to find a vulnerability there, a matchup uh, that they like, whether they maybe they move Marvin Harrison Jr. across the formation like we saw Sarkeesian do in 2020 with Devontae Smith just to get him different looks. But I think one of Emeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming, and Cade Stover, again, like we talked about before the Michigan game, one of those two has to make plays and make big plays consistently in this matchup. Stover was the man against Michigan. He didn't execute. He didn't follow through on those plays. And then the outcome was what it was. So that cannot happen again for the Buckeyes. They need a, a solid number two because Georgia's going to have two very reliable options at minimum offensively. The Buckeyes need to have the same there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point. You know, it's been commented on the broadcast that before I, I remember Joel Klatt mentioning Marvin Harrison's been the only one getting open, you know, in those man one on one situations. So Agbuka, Julian Fleming, Stover, whoever else, Xavier Johnson might come into the game. You know, they're going to have to make a play or two and help out Marvin Harrison and CJ Stroud. 
Definitely. And Dave, let's get to the picks here um, for the college football playoff semifinals. New Year's Eve, four o'clock. We have the Fiesta Bowl, TCU and Michigan. Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines favored by seven and a half looking to play for their first national championship in really the modern era of college football. Do the Wolverines get it done? It's a good draw for Michigan. It's a really good draw for Michigan. I think they end up winning this game, maybe two touchdowns. I'll take the Wolverines and the points. I agree. I think Michigan's going to get their wish, get to the national championship, and then we'll really see what Jim Harbaugh and company are made out of. They're going to win this game on the back of J.J. McCarthy. I think he's going to have a coming out party here in this matchup. He's played well throughout the year. He's had some accuracy issues. Again, he put that to bed against Ohio State. Donovan Edwards, big game. Like you said, good draw for Michigan. I like the Wolverines to win comfortably. We'll we'll see some back and forth in the first half, some third quarter. It'll look like Alabama-Cincinnati last year in terms of game flow, yeah. not talent matchup. But we'll go to Atlanta now, the nightcap. This is going to ring in the new year in a very good way for one fan base, and in a, I wish it wasn't New Year's Eve way for the other fan base. Bulldogs currently favored at six and a half over the Buckeyes. Who do you like here? Interesting line. It's interesting that this line is uh, smaller than the Michigan TCU line. And I think there's a reason for that. I'm picking Ohio state to cover. I think Georgia ends up winning the game, but I really think we could see a buzzer beater field goal at the horn here um, for jackpot Lesney to win this game. It's definitely possible for Georgia that this game ends up tight like that. I think Ohio state gives it a good shot, but Georgia pulls out in the end. I've seen the reports out there. I've seen all the talking heads about, Ohio State's going to get blown out or Ohio State's going to win. There's not really in between there. If it's tight, favors the Buckeyes. If the game flows how they usually do, then advantage Georgia because they'll just roll with that typical Ohio State versus the SEC in the postseason. But, yeah, six and a half, I've, I've seen out there. The line might get down to five and a half as we get close to kickoff. I'm taking the Buckeyes as well, but I'm going to be different. I'm going to say the Buckeyes outright win the Peach Bowl and get to the national championship. Wow. Well, that's bold. It's one of the bolder ones we've had here on this season of Saturday Cadence. But, you know, it'll certainly be an intriguing storyline if our if your predictions hold true and it's Ohio State-Michigan in the final. So uh, certainly two really interesting games here to ring in the new year, like you said. Yeah, I don't want to project to that, like you said, but that's that's how the picks fall there in that case. And I'm not making my selection because of that. I just feel that this has to be the game where Ohio State has to win just for the program. It's a program-defining game for the Buckeyes. Uh, Ryan Day, the whole entire team's been disrespected. The program's historically really good in this scenario. Georgia's a different beast than the, the program's ever had to play in this matchup. So it's not this foregone conclusion the Buckeyes are going to win. I just have that feeling that this is the time for Ohio State to come and and show out in the Peach Bowl here and, and get a win over a very, very good Georgia team with Kirby Smart at the helm. Yeah, like you said, it's going to be really is program defining you know there's a lot of Ohio State fans who have been jumping down Ryan Day's throat here for the last couple of weeks and even before that really um so this is huge huge one of the biggest games for Ohio State probably since the the playoff era honestly and you know they're they're somewhat lucky they got in thankful to Utah for that um and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out absolutely and guys thank you for listening we'll be back next week to break down everything we watch on New Year's Eve and from some of the New Year's Six Bowls as well on next week's show. We'll preview the national championship and get a look there. Continue to stay tuned to the Saturday Cadence for all your coverage and rely on the podcast for the news. 
Thank you for listening and enjoy the college football playoff. Happy holidays again and happy new year.